everyone, welcome to episode 80 of the Rude Horror Podcast. I'm your host, Marcus Rude, and today I have an awesome episode lined up for you. I got to chat with Justin Beam from Reverend Entertainment. He's here to talk about uh, some of the titles that he's worked on with Reverend Entertainment, and uh, we talk about the new Shout Factory, Scream Factory, Krampus, the naughty cut on 4k we also talk about ronin flicks's haunt box set and uh as well as uh an in-depth conversation on the universal monsters to start off with so uh it's a great episode we also dive into christmas horror films towards the end so this is a special christmasy type episode for december so i hope you guys enjoy and I'm not sure if I'm going to release another episode before Christmas. Uh, I'm hoping to, but I never know. So I just want to say Merry Christmas, Happy Holidays to everyone, to everybody, and uh, Happy New Year. But uh, if I do release an episode before then, I'll probably repeat myself. But I just wanted to mention uh, just in case that it doesn't work out. But yeah, and uh, I plan on doing a bonus episode for the end of the year because uh, I was hoping to do a year two recap of the Rehor Podcast. The anniversary of the Rehor Podcast was back in the middle of October, which I never did release a second year anniversary one. So I think uh, towards the end of the year here, I might just make a bonus episode and then have that regarding, you know, two years of doing the podcast and talking about the, the past year and whatnot as a bonus so uh that'll be coming up for sure and then uh you know of course i have other guests lined up in the near future but uh but anyways let's just get right into the conversation that i had with justin beam from reverend entertainment Hello, I'm here with writer-producer Justin Beam, and uh, he has a company, Reverend Entertainment, that uh, he creates content for uh, Paramount Pictures, Shout Factory, Scream Factory, Anchor Bay, Vinegar Syndrome, and other studios and distribution companies that he's worked on over 60 titles with, and uh, he's also a feature writer for Horror Cinema Magazine's Fangoria, Famous Monsters of Filmland, Delirium, Horror Hound, and Scream. And uh, he also hosts the Justin Beam Radio Hour podcast. Welcome to the show, Justin. Thanks for having me on, man. I appreciate it very much. Yeah, it's funny to hear about the podcast being in there. I, it's been so long since I've been active with that thing. And uh, it's one of those projects that I hope to return to at some point, but it's just been so busy the last handful of years here that I just had to sort of set it on the shelf for now but yeah thank you man it's so great to be here right right yeah man I'm I'm just glad that uh that you're here and, and wanting to be able to talk about uh your reverend entertainment company and uh you know the the great new releases that uh that you've been working on with Shout Factory uh you know and and we're gonna talk about uh the Krampus uh, the naughty cut edition that uh, that was uh, 
I don't know if it's actually been released yet. I know it's on pre-order. Maybe you can order it now as the time of recording this. But, uh, yeah, man, I'm, I'm just glad to, you know, hopefully uh, talk about some of these great titles here. Soon. Yeah, I appreciate it. This, this, that Krampus has been a, a wild and fun project. I think it, as we're recording, as you said, I think it comes out maybe next week. So just in just a few days here, maybe one week from now, something like that. Right. So this was a, a good time to, to have you on, you know, it's just, uh, uh to be able to, to talk about some Christmas horror f- films and, and of course with, uh, Krampus being released here soon, it's just a perfect time, uh, to have you on just because I know we've been kind of talking back and forth for a while about, Hey man, you know, I want to get you on the show and, and, you know, we'll talk about the horror genre and here we are now and this I think this is a perfect time to to chat. Yeah, thanks again for having me on. Um, so uh, before we get into uh, some of the titles and whatnot, uh, you know what what got you into the horror genre? When I was a kid, I I got into it through reading the Crestwood House monster books from the library. I would check them out over and over and over and. Those are the it, for. Are you familiar with those? Do you know what those are, Mark? Um, I'm not exactly sure. I don't think I, I read those. There was a series of books that were, as far as I'm aware, I really should look into the history of them. But they were library only, so you couldn't just go to the bookstore and pick them up. From what I understand, but they were hardback books, and each one of them covered a different movie monster. And it wouldn't be relegated to just Universal, but it would it, the uh, let's say the Dracula book. It would have Hammer, Universal, a number of different versions of Dracula in there, and then it tells the stories of the of some of the films and the lineage of the character and the and the plots. So even before I had seen any of these movies, I was reading about them in these awesome books. And then a friend of mine, well, then I started the the videotape thing happened, the video boom. Because I hadn't seen any horror. I, I really wasn't exposed to horror at a young age in the theaters. But once the video stores started popping up and once my library especially started carrying videotapes, then I started getting into the Universal stuff and seeing the movies that I had been reading about. And then it was just off to the races from there. And there was a friend of mine who used to sneak... Well, his parents were hip enough to let him subscribe to Fangoria magazine and so he would bring those into school for me to check out. And it was that classic scene that's in so many movies where there's a kid sitting in class holding his textbook up, but behind it's like a porno magazine or something. Well, for me, it was Fangoria. And then I discovered Famous Monsters magazine, and that was a whole other exposure to older films beyond that. And then just went nuts reading about you know, checking out as many books as I could about as many of these movies and filmmakers and studios. So from a very early age, the movie element, the visual element, and I guess the auditory element was in perfect marriage with the reading and historical element bringing it all together for me because I was as intrigued by how they were made as what I was able to see 
And so that was something that started at a very young age. And my parents were cool on that. They didn't let me get into real hardcore stuff. Most of what I saw that was more adult kind of horror or contemporary horror happened out of their view, out of their view, like at a friend's house at a sleepover or something. I remember the first time I saw Chainsaw Massacre at a kid's house. That was really, I think, the first modern horror film that I had seen that actually maybe it was Halloween, Halloween 2 first, but anyway, I'll never forget seeing Chainsaw Massacre. That was the the first time that I saw something that genuinely terrified me. And then it was off from that point on more on a more contemporary film basis. But this is a very rambly answer to say I used to watch old Universal movies and read these books when I was a kid, and it just grew from there because of the magazines mostly. Right on, right on. Yeah, uh, I don't know if I actually ever read those uh, particular books, but, uh, you know, I, I was a 90s kid, and uh, there was sort of like a universal monster boom in a way mm-hmm. to where, yeah. like, you know, they kind of re-released all of those old universal monsters on VHS. Like I a, remember that. A, yep. The line of those, uh, you know, there'd be, like, Burger King Kids Club toys. Like, for some reason, they were just kind of everywhere in the 90s. So, uh, you know, and then being a kid for Halloween was like, okay, well, am I going to be like Dracula, Frankenstein, you know, mm-hmm. like the, the old school monsters. So, you know, I, I grew up with, with, uh, having some type of affection for the universal monsters. And, uh, you know, I think that really helped, uh, kind of gravitate, to I guess where I'm at now. Um, yeah, that but, happened a couple of, that happened in the sixties with those movies too. They had a, there was a real monster resurgence when they put Dracula and Frankenstein back in theaters. And um, it's, it's interesting, the whole universal thing, because it seemed like it, they seemed to be revered by the studio, but kind of kept kept in a bit of a dungeon, mm-hmm. I guess, for lack of a better term, over the years. When those tapes came out, it was really exciting because it was, they were really handled almost like new releases where it began, I can't remember the order of them, so I'm sure I'm saying this wrong, but they began with like the first four, which is like Dracula, Frankenstein, and maybe the Wolfman. And then the next ones were like the mummy and the invisible man and whatever else. And so it was a thing for me to go to Suncoast video in the mall and, and buy these up as they were being released. So, and then, and then now, and then they started doing the big budget, I guess you'd say like reboots of them, like the Brendan Fraser mummy and Bram Stoker, the incredible Coppola film, Bram Stoker's Dracula. And that, I mean, it's just interesting how these things have continued over time. And I think they just put out 4K versions of all of them this year, or they're soon to arrive. And they just have a real strong lifeline. And I think that they were really an entry point for so many people because it was accessible as kids. This wasn't something where we were going to see heads lopped off graphically and right, you know, bodies right. ripped in two. Was, this was pretty safe, fair for kids to get into this stuff. And so I think it's a good entry point. It remains that. I think it remains a really great entry point for younger people. Right. I I definitely agree. And, you know, I can see where when they rebooted The Mummy with the Brendan Fraser uh, series, how they kept it kind of kid-oriented. And it almost wasn't like a horror film. It was more like an action-adventure. Yeah. Almost like an Indiana Jones-type film. Mm Mm-hmm. Um 
you know, and and I think that's great, uh, you know, so that way the younger crowd can can get in on on these universal monsters. But uh, you know, and then as an adult, uh, it's great seeing like the R-rated takes and and actually uh, going the extra step of you know like with the newer Invisible Man. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I thought that one was incredible. Uh, I would definitely like to see uh, Blumhouse make more Universal monster films because uh, you know I think they just they knocked it out of the park with the Invisible Man. I think there's so many roads that can be explored with them. They're they're all fantastic characters, and there's because especially with Frankenstein in particular and Wolfman to some extent too. There there was a lot of territory covered in those early movies that that I guess you'd say expanded the universe around each one of them. So there's already a rich history there that they could pull from for different elements in new movies and still be tied to the original source material. The inspiration, I guess you could say, might be a better term for it. But I think this is evergreen stuff. So much of what is modern horror is based off of what we were seeing on those old films. And a lot of a lot of them really still hold up to this day. And I think a lot of the elements that are at play in them hold up to this day. And they were pretty progressive movies, especially like Bride of Frankenstein. Very progressive on a filmmaking standpoint, but also a social standpoint and other elements that are built into it. I mean, yeah, I just think that as long as they keep on tapping these these little wells, I think we're going to we're going to have a lifetime of enjoyment time with these characters being explored in new and creative ways. I think it's great. I don't have right. any problem with remakes and reboots, none at all. Right. Yeah. Uh yeah, you know, I I'll say I was a little skeptical with the Invisible Man, the newer one because mm-hmm. I was like, you know, uh you know, we had Hollow Man, which was kind of like an Invisible Man story, so I thought, well, it's going to be close to Hollow Man or, you know, what what else could they do in uh, you know, I was just kind of blown away by the direction they took and, you know, really made it modernized. And, uh, I don't know, man, it just, it really, it really worked. You know, they pulled it off and mm-hmm. I, uh, I look forward to, you know, if they ever do like a Wolfman or a Frankenstein, I would definitely like to see what their take would be on, uh, that, you know, those lore of stories. Sure. Um, and you know, so here, here's a question that I usually ask the guests and, you know, this fits in perfect with our universal monster discussion. Uh, do you have a favorite universal monster or universal monster film? I really, I like the diversity among the group of them. So whatever I'm in the mood for, there's something there, there, I, I feel that Dracula is really tied to October and Halloween for me. I don't know if that's just because of that's when I first saw it or what. But Dracula is something that's a yearly watch for me, and if I can, the Spanish version, which is really cool as well. That was a revelation on tape. When That's how you knew Universal was taking those re-releases seriously. You were younger, and you mentioned that 90s run of re-releases. When they put the Spanish version out as a separate tape, like a standalone thing, mm-hmm. that was my mind was blown because that was, for me... When I was just starting to understand there's, that these movies have various 
sometimes various versions or cut scenes. And um, that was such an eye-opening thing. But anyway, that was really cool. As, as far as the monsters go, I feel I really love the Frankenstein mythology. I like the I, I love the concept of a creature that was created against its own will and that sort of struggling to figure out its purpose in the world and that is so misunderstood everywhere it goes. It doesn't want to destroy things, but it doesn't, it can't help but destroy things. Sometimes I think that there is something relatable for all of us about that, at least from looking back at our, when we're younger and trying to figure out life and why we're here and not that we ever do, but I just find that really fascinating. This, this whole concept that, this thing is viewed as being so grotesque, and all it's trying to do is figure out why the hell it's even in existence. And then similarly, I I think that the my favorite of all of them is the Wolfman because he truly was inflicted with something against his will, kind of similar to Frankenstein, but in, in, in a different way because Frankenstein is the, is the amalgamation of many parts. Wolfman knew Lawrence Talbot knew what it was like to be him. He knew himself. He was an adult man who had, who was middle-aged or whatever. And so he knew life and family and dreams and desires and loss and whatever on his own terms as a human. And then he gets bitten, becomes this thing when the moon is full and against his will is transformed into something that is completely destructive and he hates it and that's a very natural i think a very human reaction to any kind of virus or something that's within your body you get sick you have a cold you want to you want to carve it out of your insides as quickly as you can to get it out but this guy can't and i love that universal in a series of movies that increasingly were trying to appeal to families and kids they still made moves with this character of the wolfman and larry to to have him on a quest to either be cured or die. And I think that's heady territory for a movie series that was aimed at the audience that it was. And it remains unique because even in the world of mainstream horror today, I think that that's a, that would be considered a pretty bold move to have your main character pleading with a doctor. Like, I need, I, by the time he gets to Frankenstein meets the Wolfman, to have him pleading and saying, I need you to cure me, doctor, or I just want to die. I need one or the other. Help me figure out how to be fixed or figure out how I can die. It's just so incredibly heavy, and it puts a very... It, it builds tension into every move that happens around that character in all those films because he's on a, he's on a genuine quest, and it's a, it, it's a quest for... It's not a quest for money. So many adventure movies and so many films are about achieving wealth or finding the treasure chest or the lost ship or whatever it might be. He simply just wants to be back to being healthy and being normal. And I think that can apply to people in so many walks, not just, I mean, now we're in COVID time, you can kind of relate to that, but also cancer, also so many other things that people deal with and or face in their families even if they're not directly impacted by it it's very relatable and i think it's very real it's very mature and it gives a depth to the tapestry that they 
unfold as these movies roll out. And so I think his character is far and away the most fascinating and the one that has, I think, the richest potential to explore in the future. What would you say? What's your What's your favorite? Well, uh, when I was younger, Dracula was always kind of my favorite. Yeah. I always loved just, uh, you know, I guess, you know, as a kid, just the idea of, oh, this guy needs blood to live. And, you know, he goes after the, you know, the most beautiful women that he could find and, and, you know, bring them in and, uh, put a trance on them, so to speak. And just, Mm -hmm. there's a very dark, like romance angle within it as well. And, uh, one thing I did want to touch on when you're talking about the Wolfman was, uh, all these stories like they they're really like universal stories you know like they're like universally mm-hmm. related stories to where you know some of them like the frankenstein uh or i wouldn't even say like the hunchback of notre dame was a universal monster but even someone like his character uh they're we we get sort of uh sympathetic to these characters when they're supposed to be Mm -hmm. hideous scary monsters but like with with him and frankenstein uh they're almost like the first characters that we could sympathize with and i wonder why that is i i I, when we think of a monster i think that there's a general concept of it being almost like a derogatory thing or that that monster equals scary but i'm not sure that these i don't know that they were meant to be scary I think that they look different. People think of them as being scary, but really the creature from the Black Lagoon was a guy, a creature, a character, a creature who had these strangers show up in his environment, his ecosystem. They forced their way into his world and then they started fucking around with him, with his environment. They were trying to catch him and trick him. And all he was saying was just like, just leave. Mm-hmm. leave me in peace and that story arc and i did a cover story like a big feature on this in famous monsters magazine that which which remains my favorite cover of all time which was by this artist julian who this amazing painting for the cover and i i'm fascinated by the creature trilogy because i think it's probably in horror the most perfect Franch, if you want, I hate to say franchise, but even the perfect trilogy, the most perfect trilogy that I think exists. And if no, if from no other angle than the story angle, that the first film is these people showing up, invading his territory, trying to get him, trying to catch him, and they're shooting at him. He f- discovers something in this woman. He's never experienced that before because he's never seen that before. You know, the beautiful sequence that's so famous of her swimming and him underneath kind of mimicking what she's doing. He's almost like the mirror image of her. That's just playful curiosity. He's almost like a child when some new something new shows up in the room. And his destruction was nothing more. The scary that you're talking about with him, for one, was nothing more than him just trying to be trying to protect himself and make sure that he's left alone invaders go away so the second film comes around and at the end of the first one he's shot and he they leave 
the second one, these people return. They do catch him this time. And they, and as people do, especially in Western culture, they capture him and put him on display in a park. They aren't, they are sort of studying him, but more so it's a tourist attraction. And he's miserable. He goes from having this beautiful, lush environment that he survives in. This is kind of the, the parable of man versus nature is what we've done to all animals. This is what we've done to all of our food, the, the animals that people eat, is that we enter this whatever beautiful environment it is, we capture whatever is lovingly, peacefully living there, and we enslave it. And we either make it our food or we torture it. Usually torture is involved with all elements or we make it some sort of amusement. And for the creature in the second one, so the, in the second one, he is captured and put on display and he just wants to go home. He doesn't have any interest in hurting anybody. He just wants to get the hell out of there. And he's just in, in this environment that he doesn't understand where he's miserable in this little tiny tank. He does escape finally, flips some cars, gets back in the water and they hunt him down. And once again, there's bullets careening past him when he's in the water and being shot at again. The third one, they return again for him. Only this time when they're trying to catch him, they mess up and they burn him, which is very human that by the time we're in the third stage of messing with whatever it is we're messing with, we're now doing severe damage to them recklessly. Totally what we do. And, and, and he's burned, he loses his normal habitat because his gills are literally burned off in the third one. Luckily, and to the the writers are like, well, let's just give him regular lungs under there. Okay, so now he can breathe air, but that's not where he wants to be. And in an incredible move, again for Universal, similar to what they did with the Wolfman, at the end of the third creature film, he breaks free from this jank enclosure that he's been in. He's not, he doesn't even care about love life. There's no more interest in anything. He just wants to get home, and he knows he's going to drown if he goes into the ocean or the water. He knows he can't breathe there anymore. And the last shot of that movie is him standing on a beach, breathing heavily as he's considering his final moments of life, and then he makes the choice to walk into the ocean where he's going to die. So that series went from a beautiful creature in its environment to that creature choosing death over existence in a human-mandated world of violence, manipulation, and abuse. How much more real a story is there? Not, not really any. Anywhere. It's amazing. Yeah, it's it, yeah. it's amazing, especially for its time. Like that's a story that could be told today, and I think people would be like, "Oh my gosh, what a, what an incredible, what an incredible way to help us reflect on the, the, what we do to this world and the creatures in it." There's nothing. There's no arc in, I, I, and I think all of cinema that's as perfect as a story as an idea that feeds a story that speaks to our culture than the creature from the Black Lagoon movies. Right, yeah, I perfectly perfectly said Justin. Yeah, I I I can't agree more, man. And you know, uh, to kind of go back to, you know, I said like Dracula was was my favorite. Mm -hmm. You know, as a younger kid, you know, he was more or less like my favorite. Uh but as years go on, uh, I tend to think like the, the creatures from the Black Lagoon is 
might be my my or the creature might be my favorite character of all and uh you know giving us the elaborate story on the creature from the black lagoon series uh i i don't think i could have said that any any better like you know you're spot on with talking about just how uh we we look at the creature as like almost like a mirror image to to man and you know this of just seeing the the trials and tribulations of what the creature goes through and you know it's I, i see like a mirror image on man more or less like you know this is how men perceive uh you know otherworldly like creatures like we're mm-hmm. we're very destructive when it comes to uh something new to us we 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 tend to i mean i you know i would hope that we would have some type of like peace or sympathy to to new creatures like you know saying that there's aliens or whatever but uh we tend to just kind of go with the instinct of chaos <laughs> The ins- well, it's the instinct of absolute power. It's a boldness that we have that maybe is unavoidable at our at the young age of our species, however you want to say it, mm-hmm. that the 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 choices we make when we encounter things that are unknown to us in some ways are evolving, but I think by and large, and I'm, I'm saying this as a vegan who, who doesn't, who since I was a kid doesn't engage in meat eating or anything like that. I'm very compassionate to animals and to people politically as well. And um, I just think that what we tend to do is railroad over things without sympathy, without consideration. I think that people are very quick to buy in to to buy into messaging that that is unhealthy and mm-hmm. that is sort of a a, a group think kind of a, an approach without considering the resulting destruction that it wreaks. I think back to COVID, I think COVID is, is perhaps for the generations that are alive right now the greatest example of this. We have annihilated a significant portion of the population on this planet by choice with this because people have politicized something that is a medical issue. It's not a political issue. It's the same thing as encountering, I mean, to, to draw it to our discussion here into the creature, it's the same thing as encountering something new. You can either approach this with compassion and consideration and careful movement or you can be reactive and defensive and put your ego in front of morality and put your ego in front of of practical matters like medicine and science. And the fact that so many people have died is a direct result of the same kind of ignorance that you see in play in Creature Walks Among Us, for example, or any, any of those three movies where these people just bullheaded storm into this place and decide to just steal, kill, capture, and, and exploit whatever's there for their own good, for their own purposes. And that's exactly what we've done with this unfortunate pandemic that continues. So, 
Yes. I think, and, and this again speaks to your point about these things are relatable. This is going to be eternally relatable because these are, these are human conditions. The, these things aren't going away the way that we treat animals, the way that we treat each other. And um, there's, it's, it's, it's always going to be a relevant discussion to explore this kind of stuff and be able to tie it to whatever is culturally relevant at the time. And that's part of what makes these movies so timeless. But also, what you were talking about a little bit ago, asking about, you know, you were discussing the monster thing. Are these monstrous? None of these guys are really monstrous. Dracula, I mean, they're all just kind of, I mean, Dracula is probably the most sinister of them all because he knows what he's doing. And right. he, he's, he's aware of it. But he, too, is a victim in a way as well. He surely would rather be living a normal life. But he is stuck. They're all boxed in in some ways. He can't go out in the sun, for example. So there's limitation to him right there. He has to drink blood. There's limitation right there. Uh, Wolfman bound to this full moon thing. Frankenstein, his body is just an insane hybrid of parts and that, that hardly works together. And his brain, let alone, is, is in conflict with certain parts of his body, of his anatomy. Um, none of them are really monstrous unless hey, they look different. Hey, they have different needs than me because they're just trying to survive most of them just like we are but we paint them as monsters because of the, the fact that they look maybe have different needs than we do but if we allowed them to do their own thing on their own terms there would never be any conflict and nobody would ever die right except maybe with dracula although i think he have found a way to survive and allow people to survive without people actually having to die but Frankenstein, I don't think, ever had any reason to hurt anybody. If you wouldn't lock him in a cellar, chain him to the floor, and wave flame in front of his face, he probably wouldn't get that nervous. You know, the <laughs> Frankenstein <not>. monster. <laughs> you know what I mean, though? I mean, the only one who probably would kill would be Wolfman, and he was begging people to do what it took to not have him kill. So he understands his condition and then tries to create an environment where he is, where the people around him are safe, which is an awareness that I think is also rare in the world of horror where the killer or creature or monster is saying, don't let me be as much of a monster as I know I could be. Does that make sense? Yes. Yeah, it does make sense. And, you know, to, to add to that, you know, he, he did care about people, but when he turned, he had lost control over, you know, his human side and, you know, lashes out as this hideous monstrosity that just, you know, I guess would go on a killing or carnage spree uh, and just kind of attack anybody in his way because that's, you know, typically what a wolf would do, I guess, you know, had wolf-like instincts and, uh, you know, who knows if he could actually think of, of what's going on when he's uh, like that in that state, mm-hmm. but, um, you know, he... he it's one of those things that he, he just he just can't control it, and he would who would like to, but uh, that's just that's part of the monster in him. You know, he he just can't control it. And maybe he would have found a way to control it if he was allowed to be in an environment. Once that happened, and he got his mind wrapped around it, he's a pretty smart guy. He, he's he's not just some knucklehead in that in that first film. And he could have surely, considering the other ways that he was trying to help people be protected from himself, 
I think he probably could have found a way to live in the countryside or something away from people and just do his thing. And maybe he needed to feed off of fish or I don't know, whatever else, some other way. But he's, he's sort of rooted in this, in this modernized society where it just so happens that when I jump out the window at night and I've turned into this thing, the, the living things that are around me that I need, I, I need to feed and the living things happen to be people, but he probably could have controlled that too. And the maturity that his character has and his lack of interest in hurting anyone tells me that maybe that could have been very different. So again, just something trying to survive, just something that could have figured out how to deal with what it was inflicted with in some positive way, but everything around it prevented that from happening. Right. And then, uh, you know, the other side of the coin is uh, just how... uh, the townspeople or, you know, the, the people uh, around the situation, how they react to such a thing to where they just jump to conclusions and, right. you know, are like, oh, he's a monster. We have to, you know, kill That's him. That's that group or, think. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. So, they you know, they jump to conclusions. Uh, and, you know, same thing with Frankenstein's monster. Uh, you know, they see he was a, a hideous creature and he needed to, he needed to be killed or, he, you know, he needed to be, abolished from earth because mm-hmm. you know he's such this hideous creature um and that just kind of tends to be a, a theme throughout most of the universal monsters is uh you know what what the people perceived these things at the time and uh you know who knows with the 21st century if you know we would view these things differently knowing what we know now you know how time has progressed Mm -hmm. Uh, it's it's just an interesting topic it is and really it's all man playing god and that they had cut the censors had cut the scene out of the original frankenstein where he says now i know what it feels like to be god and it's back in there now and generations since then have always known it to be part of the movie, but that was originally cut out. But that's very much at the heart of all of this, whether, because, okay, so in the Frankenstein films, the villagers are uh, just up in arms and armed, literally, to not only destroy the monster, but to make sure no Frankenstein returns to their village, that no one with that name comes back here because of the awful things that they do, and they're playing God with, you know, all this, with their science and all that. It's really an indictment of science but at the same time, they're playing God by choosing to destroy his creation and try to and ultimately destroy which destroys him. They they create the pressure cooker that drive him and that monster to what happens at the end of that first film. And then beyond that point, it's just they're the ones who continually turn the crank on this thing to create the situations where chaos ensues. And that's always the case. The people who are power-hungry and uninformed are the ones who are going to show up to wreak havoc and cause destruction. Yeah, unfortunately, but, you know, that's absolutely true. (laughs) Well, hey, man, uh, this uh, Universal Monster discussion has been amazing, Uh, but, you know, there's there's so many other things that uh, I would at least like to, to breeze by or discuss uh, you know, so there's there's just been a lot of buzz going around with, uh, you know, Jim Wynorski's Hard to Die. And, you know, everyone's saying how Scream Factory might have the 
the rights to it but from from what i've heard that isn't the case right like they don't have the rights to hard to die i don't know i'm a, i like i mean the double bill of watching sorority house massacre 2 back to back with hard to die is a blast have you ever done that are you aware of the connections between those two films oh yes i mean you know there's a lot of reoccurring characters uh, same actors same characters just kind of a different setting it's right it's right. it's um, it's a very clear example of Corman, Cormanism at work where they say all right we still have we have this other set let's also shoot the same script but tweak it a little bit there i remember i, I interviewed jim for fangoria years ago and we talked about that and it was kind of funny because jim's story is a, is an interesting one he actually had been a writer for fangoria years prior and he got the boot from the magazine because it was found out that he had been fabricating his stories. He had been fabricating quotes, behind-the-scenes information on stuff, and he admits to that. He openly admits to it. And I interviewed Uncle Bob Martin, Uncle Bob, we call him Uncle, they, they refer to him as Uncle Bob, mm-hmm. on, on this and on Jim, and now he's able to laugh about it. But he says, and I'm paraphrasing, but he said, at the time, he's like, I've never been more pissed off in my life. That guy, he just, uh, so many articles that he just completely fabricated. And I, I never thought I'd have a kind word to say about him, but, and then he said something to the effect of now I look back on it and it's just kind of funny, (laughs) but that, that was Jim. And, uh, I've been at a number of film festivals with him over time. And I've, I remain a fan of a lot of the things that he's created and hard to die. I think is that gem of his, that. A lot of people don't really know about because it never made it beyond VHS. But right. that is this really weird sort of Belial in the basket brother to Sorority House Massacre 2. That's so much fun and is so outlandish. And um, I haven't heard, a, I, I will say, I haven't heard a single thing on any front about the about Shout having that or having the rights to it. But things happen there all the time that I'm not aware of. Of course, I'm not in the company. I'm not sitting in boardrooms and in the same meetings as everybody. So, for example, I didn't know they had Slapshot or Summer School. And both of those were just announced along with My Alligator 1 and 2. And I would have given anything to work on Slapshot, especially. But I would love to get Chainsaw and Dave together on Summer School. But by the time I heard about it, it was the exact same time as everyone else heard about those. And I wrote to them and I said, can I please contribute to these? At least let's get Let's get these guys together on summer school. And I know on Slapshot, there's so many of those players that everyone focus on the, focuses on the Hanson brothers. Well, there's a whole cast of incredible, colorful characters in that movie that I would love to interview about it. And they're like, sorry, it's already done. And I was like, mm-hmm. damn it. So the same thing happened to me years ago on Night of the Demons. I had done this exhaustive retrospective years ago in print for, originally for Fangoria. Didn't, it was too big to get printed. It was ridiculous. But mm-hmm. in interviewing the whole cast and crew from just about, I mean, just about everybody from the first three films, the original three films. And then I find wow. out Shout was doing a Blu-ray years later and already had everything done on it. But I would have had literally everybody plus mountains of behind the scenes stuff that no one had seen before. So this is a lo- another long-winded way for me to answer your very simple question. <laughs> And say, if there is hard to die happening there, I would certainly love to be a part of it. I know Jim. 
I'm in direct, I can be in direct contact with him at any time. And I think we could pull some special stuff off on it, but I right. haven't heard anything about any of his movies beyond, I mean, being released by shout because when that, when the Corman sale happened, not shout didn't buy his entire catalog. They didn't buy everything A to Z that was Corman. So mm-hmm. as far as I'm aware, I don't know that I, I, I guess that the safest way to say it is I have not heard that this is happening. This is the first I've heard of it is you mentioning it. And I've certainly not had it come up in any conversations with those guys. Right. Yeah. I, uh, you know, over the past year or so, I've been kind of seeing like this image get recirculated on the internet periodically of, you know, like a fake image set up of, you know, shout factory releasing a double bill of, Sorority House Massacre 2 and oh, Hard to Die, that'd which, be so cool. you know, just sounds amazing. Even just looking at the fake picture, it's like, man, wouldn't that be so amazing just to, yeah. s- to see that happen? Yeah, it and, would be. And, you know, I, I too have uh, contacts with Jim and, you know, he would love to see it as well. But, you know, it's just, it's not up to him. It's, it's up to, you know, whatever company has the rights to, to make it happen i guess right and uh you know i only bring this up because i do plan on having jim back on the show i've had him on to talk about uh out of this earth Uh, but i I do plan on having him back on to talk about hard to die just because i feel like that's one of his underrated films that doesn't get uh i don't know a a lot of love a lot of Mm -hmm. appreciation for so uh i you know and uh, and knowing you, I just thought I would just kind of uh, get that open in the air that you know no one knows, uh, you know who's going to release it or you know who who has the rights to it and and whatnot. Yeah, fingers crossed on it. I hope it does. I mean, even if it's not double billed with that, it would be a fun one to have re-released and to get commentary on and all that. That'd be pretty cool. Right. Yeah. You definitely uh, get a lot of special features uh, lined up with that one. And, uh, you know, I don't know if you've been keeping up with, uh, you know, he <laughs> almost the past year, he's been talking about coming soon, his new film, Bigfoot or bust, uh, oh, which no. it's, <laughs> it's, that's his new film, uh, which who knows when it's going to get released. He's been talking about it for the past year that it's coming soon, coming soon. So, oh, but I don't know why yeah. he, I mean, we've been in, we've done. I'm looking this up right now. We've done some things together, like I said, over the years. And he, I don't know if you, it must have been something political I posted some time ago, which I don't anymore. I've only briefly, there's only been a couple of times where I ever put anything political or anything online. And I very, Mm -hmm. very rarely do it and certainly wouldn't do it anymore. But I think he unfriended me after I posted something a few years ago because... Oh, no. Political differences there or something. So I'm, I haven't remained in as close a view of him as I would have historically. Mm-hmm. Um, but Bigfoot or Bust sounds like classic Wynorski. <laughs> and he's going to find out what's hot right now. And I think Bigfoot films have a lot of momentum right now, as cryptozoology kind of in general does, especially in the indie film world. And, of course, it's got to be busty. <laughs> or it's got to, the hills have to have thighs. The witches have to be from Brestwick. All the things that Jim has done. Right, he's a very consistent man. He's kind of our 
our modern punk rock version of Russ Meyer. Right. Most definitely. Um, and you know, one of the other reasons why I brought that, that title up is because he has a, I want to say a couple actresses from Hard to Die, like uh, Gail Thackeray or uh, Gail Harris, as she was uh, named, or you know, her name in Hard to Die. Mm-hmm. But uh, you know, I just, I just, you know, with with those uh, connections, uh, I just thought, you know, you know, he still keeps in contact with a lot of the people that worked on Hard to Die or acted in, so. I thought, man, that'd be uh, an easy yeah. special feature, right? Or, or a special edition. I think it would come together pretty easily if it ever, if it ever did happen. Right, right. And you know, and cool. I've talked to Jim about, you know, would you ever? Uh, and you know, I think this question has been brought up a lot. But you know, would he ever make a sequel to Hard to Die? And uh, he simply said that he tried talking to Peter Spellows about it, but he didn't really want to do it and so without Orville there's going to be no sequel so yeah just one of those things I guess makes sense to me though (laughs) but anyways uh moving on I I did want to mention uh the Ronin Flicks haunt box set because Mm -hmm. uh May 13th of 2022 you know, so speaking, 2022, uh, May 13th and May 14th, Midwest Monster Fest presents Halfway to Halloween convention, and uh, they just announced uh, Damien Maffe as a guest mm-hmm. to the convention, and you know he plays a rather big part in the Haunt movie, uh, and you know, and then you also had a, a big part on making the Ronin Flicks Haunt box set. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, without uh, maybe elaborating, like, you know, significantly, uh, you know, what was it like being a part of uh, getting Haunt on Blu-ray for the first time? And, you know, you loaded it with special features. Like, what what was it like working on that release? It was great. I've known Scott Beck and Brian Woods for many years. We're Iowa guys. And the, I, I one day I just, I don't even remember what sparked it, but I just texted him. I'm like, what? What happened to Haunt? What happened? Because I was there. I hosted a screening of it in their hometown with, with them present, as well as Justin Markson, who plays Clown in the movie. The year it came out, because it had a little bit of a struggle. It, it has a weird history, that film. And the way that the producers decided to release it was very unusual. Instead of doing a wide release, they decided to essentially four-wall it and be selective with cities and theaters that it was in. And then the studio just kind of kicked it out on DVD, didn't even get a Blu-ray release. They put it out on DVD Mm -hmm. with just a couple special features, I think maybe one commentary or something, and then maybe a brief on-set behind-the-scenes deal. I can't even remember what was on that DVD, but I messaged him one day, and I'm like, what happened to this? And is there, why not Blu-ray at least? And they just said, and... After talking with them about it, I'm like, well, we, we need to try to get this the right treatment. And they're like, well, let's see what we can do. And then I started asking around, and um, Ronin was the most responsive when it came to me proposing, when I was pitching to different distributors. And I went to all the normal entities you'd imagine I would go to. 
But it was everyone is like, well, isn't this already streaming? And th this is one of the problems with streaming content now, which everyone is still trying to sort of harness on all fronts. And I'll try to make this brief, like you said. But they, uh, I, if there's one bit of advice I can give filmmakers, it's don't throw your stuff online without thinking about it. If you're done with distribution, if you have no future plans for your film, especially in like a physical way or any kind of re-release way, then go ahead. But I would say be very cautious about putting your thing, your films online because once they're streaming, people don't want to touch them. Mm. They're, they're, they're not going to want to, by and large, not going to want to invest in something that has already been given away for free, especially if you put something on YouTube, it's dead. Or if it's even streaming on a pay service or something that can that can really be a bit of an anchor on it from the, in the eyes of people hoping to invest in it to try to make money off it because it's already out there floating around. So that's what we ran into with a lot of distributors on Haunt. Everyone was kind of like, yeah, but this is already streaming. It's already on Shutter." But Ronin gets it. And, and there I found guys who are huge fans of the movie and were like, oh, we would, this would be amazing. We could do a box set. I mean, what do you guys have for ideas? And then Scott Bryan and I started just daydreaming. Well, what about this? What about that? And Ronan was on board for every single bit of it. Hmm. And then I'm like, why wasn't there a soundtrack release from Tom and Andy? And I remember Tom and Andy from Killing Zoe and all these other great movies from my youth. And they're like, it just, no one ever, it, it just didn't, didn't happen. And so I got in contact with them and Tom and Andy was like, they were like, oh man, yeah, I mean, you can, we loved working on that. We love Scott and Brian. You guys can release it without having to pay any kind of licensing fee. Just, we would love to have this out there as an exclusive on that box. I was like, are you kidding? So now it became a second disc that was the soundtrack. And it just kept growing from there. And then I started interviewing everybody. And, and then Ronan came up with the idea for these poster reproductions. And then re, um, I got my hands from one of the guys from the production on the map, the, a scan of the original map that they use in the, the of the haunt that's yes, in the back room yes. on the wall. And I took that to Roan and I'm like, can we put this in there too along with the posters? They're like, oh man, that's if it could be cleaned up. So we had to, anyway, it just, every idea that we came up with, hey, Scott and Brian's first home movie, can we put that in? Oh yeah, that'd be great. <laughs> so now it's on the disc. It just it was crazy how this thing kept growing and and then it it became this ultimate loving tribute to a movie that was treated kind of like like i don't know it, i i just don't think it got the love on initial release that it merited and i was really really thrilled that the guys got their day with it and all the a lot of those features most all of them not the soundtrack not all the extra gimmicky stuff in the box but the standard blu-ray release that that also came out that's now commercially available for like amazon and everything most of our extras reported over there as well so it became it became the release that these guys ultimately wanted and i was just i, I couldn't have been more honored and happy and excited for them to to see it to have it all happen it was awesome right yeah i mean haunt finally got the release that it deserved because mm -hmm. uh you know, it, it it's one of those topics to where it's like it makes you question like this movie is so good, especially you know for a horror film. Uh, 
why didn't this get a big release? Like, you know, just kind of puts a lot of questions in the air. It's like, you know, how how did, I guess, like, these the big-name studios, like, how did they just kind of overlook this one? Because, mm-hmm. uh, you know, from, from what I could tell, this was a pretty successful um, film as far as, like, you know, the fans really are engaged with this one. And, you know, especially with this on Shudder, or originally released on Shudder, uh, I think that, you know it was just instantly a big hit, and you know with with names like you know Scott and Brian with uh, A Quiet Place, uh, I mean they you know they definitely know what they're doing, and uh, and Eli Roth is pr- is a producer it, on it, right? And it is tied with Universal, but it's just a it's a whole situation where there's so many cooks in the kitchen, and I don't. I still don't know. It's a, it's a real mystery to me how it was so quietly just sort of put out when it landed on video. Yeah. The theatrical thing I understand a little bit better because I know what they what the producers were trying to do with that. But the video release, it's just a mystery. Now, listeners also need to understand that DVD still makes up like 70-some or 80% of the market in terms of sales of discs. DVD is still the dominant format over Blu-ray and over 4K. 4K is a sliver of sales. Hmm. We want them as fans and collectors, but if you look at what actually is selling everywhere, it's it's still DVDs the king. So I get that they wanted to put it in Walmart, which is the number one North American retailer, and Walmart, historically, they have a new buyer now who's into higher like Blu-rays and 4Ks, which you didn't see in there historically. That's why you've been seeing a lot more of them. They have a recently a new buyer there. But Walmart was going to be stocking DVDs and they wanted to move numbers as best they can for this quiet little movie. And they put it only on DVD and didn't bother with the rest. And I'm just, I'm I'm thrilled that we were able to fix that. So everybody who was involved with it could see it treated the way that it should be treated because everyone involved was so sincere about their experience and loving about working with Scott and Brian. And everyone looks back on it fondly. And everyone wanted to talk forever about it when I was interviewing him, just... Just it, it was a really rare experience. Really cool. Right. Yeah. I, you know, I I picked it up when uh, uh, Ronan Flix was selling them. I think maybe it was pre-order at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, just I, you know, I was just kind of blown away by just everything that was in the box set. Yeah. And you know, I was like, wow. You know, like you know, Han is finally getting the release that they deserve. Because for a while, I was thinking, man. I, you know, I wanted to pick up Haunt, but I was like, it's on only on DVD, yep. and it's like, you know, I, I would love to see it on Blu-ray, you know. I was just kind of hanging on to the idea of, oh, maybe they'll release a Blu-ray in a couple months, so maybe I'll just hold off. And then, you know, lo and behold, uh, you know, finally we got the ultimate release. And uh, I do want to mention, I don't know if the sale is going on right now, but... Uh, recently they just had a sale on them they're only like 30 bucks which yeah that was their black friday thing yeah yeah which you know if people you know hopefully people bought bought them because I mean, that's a heck of a deal right there <laughs> it was so silly i couldn't believe it i woke up that morning and i saw it or it was cyber monday sorry after black friday and they're like one day only so i don't think it's still going but when i saw it I, it just that blew my mind and so i started sharing it everywhere like you guys <laughs> this is like more than half off. This is insane. And they really are. This is not, this is a true box set. This is a true collector's type thing. Even right, down to the right. packaging. When you open the box, 
it's the wallpaper from the room that she peels up. It's, it's, they use that wallpaper design for the contents of the box that holds the Blu-ray in its place. It's just so cool. And then I put Justin on the cover. Justin marks in his clown, and when you slide it off, there's his face underneath it. So this the the O card makes the reveal of his face when you slide that off there. I was so excited that we were able to right. pull that off. The original idea was to have different sets for each bad guy. So there would so you'd want to collect them all. There was gonna be the witch and the devil, which is Damien and everybody else. But then it just came down to practicality matters like I mean, it's not the kind of thing that that we were able to do that with. So I was just thrilled that we were able to do the reveal O card on that too. So many elements are so cool with this release. I just love it. Right? Yeah. You guys definitely put a lot of uh, thought into this box set, which yeah. you know, as yeah. a fan, you know, I really appreciate that because you know it means that you know you guys really care about this film, and you know, just giving that extra mile to the fans means means a lot really and uh you know you know speaking for myself you know i really appreciate the box set i was blown away by every aspect of it even even the packaging that holds uh everything together i was just like wow you know like they Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know everyone just went the extra mile putting this together it's it's amazing so i definitely encourage you know the listeners to pick up that box set if it's still available because i know it was only limited to like five thousand units and i mean mm-hmm. i'm sure they're still selling them but yeah people definitely don't need to sleep on that release that's for sure yeah thank you for that appreciate it no problem i i did want to kind of dive into a little bit of the christmas horror side of things just because this is december and uh you know you had worked on the krampus uh, the naughty cut 4k um did you want to talk about uh this new release coming up and uh you know what what were uh some of the uh the fun stuff uh working on this one i just i've i'm such a fan of the film i love mike doherty trick-or-treat was i i think he's mastered the out of uh john carpenter Carpenter owns Halloween with Halloween, right? I think that that's the great grandfather of Halloween films and the this, the reigning king. The only film that I think has come really close on a larger cultural perspective basis to being an essential October contemporary movie, it would be Trick or Treat. I think he just he nailed that. And I remember the excitement around it when it came out. I remember how impossible it was to find in video stores to rent. It was, I mean, these sto- no one had any idea what this thing was, that it was going to take off like it did, but people were so hungry for this, for a new Halloween thing. Anthologies are, are now a huge hit again, but at that time they were kind of sleeping. And it was just such a welcome arrival. And then, so he nailed that. And he nailed all the right things about the season of Halloween as well as the storytelling in it, the visuals. It really is a master stroke, that film. Right, I agree. And then um, when Krampus came out, it was the same thing. I, I remember sitting in the theater and just being wowed. I, this is incredible. This reminds me of, of Gremlins. This reminds me of so many movies from when I was a kid. And um, 
all the things that I love about horror, and it's a perfect blend of horror and humor. It's practical, almost all of it. And I just fell head over heels in love with this film. And I think that this is up there, if not, I, I think it's certainly one of the absolute top holiday horror films. I would put it up with like Silent Night, Deadly Night, and uh, an essential yearly revisit. But it's a modern, it's another modern film that hasn't really had the kind of release that it deserves. And I know that Michael had always wanted to reinstate some scenes for it that had been cut out that he felt made the film more complete. So getting a chance to work on it when it, when they reached out to me and mentioned that this was happening and they're like, do you want to do it? I'm like, oh my God, yes, absolutely. <laughs> and and this led to me also having Michael involved with a magazine that I did. A TV Guide brought me in as their guest editor for the October issue of this entertainment nostalgia magazine they do called Remind. And I, I decided to make it all about the, the Halloween franchise. And right. one of the things that I found out from knowing Michael is that his office is in the Michael Myers house in South Pasadena. He's actually up in Judith's bedroom up there. And... <laughs> So Amazing. I, yeah. So working on this and having had conversations with Michael led me to be able to have him involved in that magazine as well, and we just hit it off, and that turned into him giving me permission to screen Trick or Treat at a drive-in event that I did this last year, and just, he's just such a great, loving genre caretaker and fan of all the same things that we are, and um, just awesome, and. Everybody, similarly to Haunt, want, really wanted to talk about this film. David Koechner, Allison Tolman, they couldn't have been more excited to come on board and talk about it. Richard Taylor, the head of Weta over in New Zealand, wow. he's so in love with Michael. And Richard runs Weta. He's the, he's the founder, co-founder of Weta, which is one of the biggest, if not the biggest, effects production houses and practical creature effect houses in the, on the planet. And he could not get on the line with me fast enough on the line, you know, for the interview connection on it. Um, wow. <laughs> and then there are all these different aspects of it that are touched on. There's a documentary on the older Blu-ray release, which is, which is cool. It's good, but everyone's kind of sprinkled throughout, but there were some longer form stories to be told from some people, some folks who weren't in there, like, um, Mike's producing partner, Todd Casey, who he's been working with for a long time. Composer Douglas Pipes, who also did Trick or Treat. Another guy that Mike's really loyal to. And and then on to Richard Taylor at Weta, who can tell a different story from behind the scenes of the creation of these incredible creatures that are in that movie. So there's just so many aspects to pour into this release, and I didn't have any breaks on it. It's one of those kind of like breakdown for Paramount where I didn't want to stop producing content for it or like Big Trouble in Little China a few years ago for Shout it's another one I just didn't want to stop right. shooting things and do, and adding new things to it and finally they just had to say stop all right enough we're done we can't do any more it's deadline we got to whatever so it was great and I love the movie and I think everything turned out really nice on it and I'm excited for everyone to check this out and to see the new footage to see all the additional stuff that Mike Michael's so excited to have reinstated there, right? You know, and that's one of the one of the things that I'm really curious to see as like 
is all the stuff that wasn't included in the first Blu-ray release because I have the first Blu-ray release, but uh, you know, just seeing all the the plethora of extras that's on this new one, and then you know also the stuff that uh, was cut out of the original film that was intended for or might that what Michael was intended for us to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, now we're finally going to be able to get our hands on and see what all this extra stuff is and you know that's I think that's what I'm most curious about is to see you know what <laughs> you know is it going to you know be more violent uh, you know is it going to you know I don't know just more cussing in it or something or you know like what 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 extra about it is going to make it naughty and and you know yeah, I, I mean, know. well, you have to temper your expectations just thinking this isn't some hardcore gore movie. There's not going to all of a sudden be, you know, like someone exploded on screen or anything like that. <laughs> it's going to be in – it's in line with everything else that's in the movie. And um, I think they were wise to, to do what they did to make it down to a PG-13 movie to get that wider audience appeal. I think that helped on the rental front as well. And but it's nice to have this little different version of it that offers something a little bit more. But more than that, even if you're focusing on the additional content is one thing. But I really just think it's this is now in 4K. This now has a brand new gorgeous uh, Dolby track on it for audio and then a whole second disc of just special features because there's so much there. Um, I mean, it's. It's it's another one of these rare, fully fleshed out celebrations of a movie that is even if it didn't have the additional footage would be totally worth the the buy just because of how much is here and how it's being presented. Absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, I I look forward to checking out this release. It's high up on my list of titles to get. So, uh, what uh, other Christmas horror films are like? maybe like your go-to Christmas horror films. And then uh, what are some of the lesser known ones that you would recommend people to check out? I'm, I'm a super junkie for seasonal horror, seasonal films in general. I just love it. I love watching snowy movies when it snows and in summer, I'm all about summer camp stuff. I have my seasonal cycles, but Christmas horror is something that I absolutely adore. And silent night, deadly night one and two, I have the box set of three through five or th- yeah, three through five that came out a few years ago too. Um, but Silent Night, Deadly Night is really sort of the top one for me. I love Christmas Evil is a favorite. I really like Santa's Sleigh, which is another movie that I wish I would love to work on that if someone would pick it up. It seems like it might fit well with like a vinegar maybe, but I think it's locked in the Lionsgate vault along with millions of other titles, unfortunately. But um, I love Santa's Sleigh. That movie's so fun. Have you seen that one? Uh, I actually have not seen that one. I know it's got Bill Goldberg in it, but it's just... And Dave Thomas. (laughs) And I won't even spoil the other people who are in it. And I encourage people not, if they're going to track it down, pick up the DVD. It's great. It's just so fun. And it has, similar to Krampus, it has an animated sequence in the middle of it. Stop motion kind of tribute to... Um, Bank and Ra- or Rankin Bass, similar, very similar to Krampus in that regard. Goldberg is hilarious in it. 
It, it's just such a funny movie. It's not a horror movie per se, but it's just a really funny movie. It's got some great kills in it and some really creative stuff. Some moments where you just groan and, oh my God, look what they're doing here. <laughs> it's a really fun movie. So I can't recommend, it, and it's S-L-A-Y, Slay. Um, that's worth tracking down however you can get your hands on it. I like... I mentioned uh, Christmas Evil is another one, and there was a really good Blu-ray of that a couple years ago. That's a that's great worth one. Grabbing. Yeah, that's excellent. Although it's kind of weird. It has the the uh, John Waters commentary on it. And what's strange about it is Waters has said for years how much this film has meant to him and what an inspiration it was. But when you listen to the commentary on that disc, and I think it was on the DVD release prior it's almost like he's seeing the movie for the first time. Have you heard that track? I I haven't heard it. I mean, I have the Blu-ray release of it, but I haven't mm. delved into a lot of the special features or commentary tracks on it. Yeah, so I, I love John Waters. I I really love him. But I was surprised. I was and I was excited to hear his commentary. And I just remember sort of scratching my head, like, wait, it seems like he's new to this film. <laughs> like, oh, why is he going down the? Why is he trying to go down the chimney here? It's like, well, is it? Ha, have you seen this before? It was really fun. It was really odd, really strange. Anyway, maybe he's trying to be aside. funny about it. I don't know. Yeah, I don't know. It's that's a weird one. He's playing it off like he's watching it for the first time, even though he loves it. Yeah, I, I like. I do like Stephen C. Miller's Silent Night. I like that one. I like Sint. The I can't remember what country that one's from. But it's about St. Nicholas, and I like Rare Exports a lot. That yeah, Rare Exports is, is really great. Um, I didn't One I saw that I didn't really get is that Dial Code Santa Claus. All right. Have you seen that one? Yes. I. <laughs> that was like a day one buy when I seen it was going to get released on 4K. Had you known what it was? Had you seen it prior? Uh, yeah, actually, I watched it on Shutter uh, when it was, you know, first released on Shutter around Christmas time, and uh, you know, I when I watched it, like you know, sure, it's it's in French, so I could you know I could I could get past the language, but I I was just kind of totally fascinated by the idea of uh, this is really similar to Home Alone, mm -hmm. but. Uh, I guess, you know, there's kind of some controversy as far as which one came first. Yeah. And uh, I, know I remember that, yeah. The director of Dial Code Santa Claus says that, you know, it was his idea first and he almost sued uh, the company that was making Home Alone because, you know, of plagiarism or whatever. Mm -hmm. uh, but, I mean, there is some differences, but, I mean, I can kind of see the similarities there. Yeah, and I, I don't know. I like there's something about the Dial Code Santa Claus movie. Like it's just it's over the top for what they're going for, and actually some of the cinematography is beautiful in that movie. Like the shots of uh, the snow covered mansion outside, mm -hmm. where he, you know he's uh, the kid is trying to crawl to the other window barefootedly. Right. Uh, but just even seeing some of those. Uh, outside house shots and just you know the, the the set production of that film just 
looked astonishingly amazing. Yeah, it's, but, but were it, you a fan of that one, or were you not really a fan of that one? I wasn't really. No, I, I and I discovered it later. I mean, maybe it was on Shutter where I first saw it. I honestly, I'd never heard of it until then. Did Joe Bob show that one? Yeah, yes, he did show. That's that one. when I saw it. Okay, that was the first time that I saw it. Then, and then I remember, and it was him who he was talking about that whole Home Alone controversy with it, and so that's how I got that education on it too, and heard about that angle, but. I don't know. It's just not. I love Santa Claus stuff. That one wasn't. I don't know why. It just didn't really, didn't like, really tickle there, me. I uh, well, with that one, uh, I did cover it on my podcast uh, the first year that I did podcasting. Mm-hmm. So I kind of, you know, go through, you know, a little bit of the trivial stuff, and then I actually kind of do it though. Not literally a play by play, but I kind of just talk about the movie from beginning to end and uh you know like some of the stuff even like the the minotel the computer systems that they used uh you know that was actually a real way of communicating in france like they had their own uh computer systems basically like before windows or mm-hmm. you know all the apple all the stuff that we have here they actually had their own type of computer system and they used to have terminals all all around France just like how they had in the movie and you could just go up to them and and type and you know send uh that's you know, cool like uh like before like Amazon and stuff like that like you could actually like uh buy stuff through that and then have it delivered to your house and you know hmm. just they were kind of thinking ahead of, uh, you know, th- thinking ahead, but uh, I think the system died uh, shortly after, you know, Windows and Apple became more of a widely mm-hmm. uh, accessible tool. Yeah. But, you know, I, I kind of delved into, like, the history of, like, well, what is that? Because, you know, when I watched it first, I'm like, what the hell is that? Like, I'm, you know. I've never seen anything like that. So I kind of went down a wormhole with that one. And I think I kind of appreciated it more, you know, uh, looking into stuff and, and learning about the behind the scenes stuff. So I was really Mm -hmm. anxious to pick up the 4k, uh, for vinegar syndrome, uh, just because, you know, they, they had so much extras and it seemed like this was a movie that no one knew about until recent years. Yeah. And then, you know, now we got these, you know, lengthy uh, special features and, you know, it's it looks great on 4K. And, That's great. Yeah. So, I mean, I would recommend that one if people haven't checked it out. But, you know, I, I you know, from my perspective, I, like, I just rambled. You know, I looked into it more, so I, you know, I appreciate it uh, for on on those regards as well mm-hmm. that's great um and then you know i mean obviously black christmas for oh, me yeah. is one of the greatest uh christmas horror films and you know in christmas evil is right up there too i really did enjoy that one and you know the ending is probably the perfect ending you could ever ask for <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> i love it um see there's another one i 
like okay so like one that's not a serious one but uh one that's worth mentioning is elves oh uh, yeah i should have mentioned elves <laughs> i love the kid in that movie my friend and i joke all the time about tracking him down he has some of the best lines <laughs> right it's it's kind of up there with like troll or like a yeah. troll too like it's just yeah. It's it's so over the top, so goofy, cheesy, but there's just something about it that it it just has some charm to it. To where it's yeah. like this is <laughs> this is that needs I a re-release too. That yeah, definitely needs to get revisited by someone, and I'm shocked that no one has. Right? Yeah, I mean it's you know it's got like Grizzly Adams in it. Uh, yeah. I mean you know some some notable people, and it's from the the same people that made uh, the same company that. Uh, made uh chill factor mm-hmm. and which i mean that one's not really a christmas but it's a winter horror film yeah. uh and it's you know that one's a decent one as well i covered that one as well um but but yeah you know elves definitely needs needs uh the 4k or you know blu-ray 4k treatment if possible It'd be a good one yeah the effects team on that were great too I know Vince Guastini was on that, and he's done so much great stuff. That's just such a good movie. I think the version of that that I have is from VHSPS because I don't, I don't think that ever made it beyond VHS either. Right. Yeah, I'm trying to think of a, maybe a possible DVD release, but maybe that one was stuck on VHS. There's a couple. I well, I just recently watched uh, Silent Night, Deadly Night Five. That was like the yep. only one that I had never seen. <laughs> uh, and what'd you think? Well, I I will say that uh, they definitely you know because that that series kind of went off the rails um, with like th- the third and fourth one, but they kind of swung back around and made it more Christmas oriented, mm-hmm. which I I dug that, um, and you know more or less like the the toys coming alive and right. uh and killing in you know the ending i won't spoil it because i think people should check it out um it, it kind of had like a i want to say a shocking reveal or ending but uh it was definitely a twist i didn't see coming um you know and that uh so the the fourth and fifth silent night deadly night uh you know Brian Usna played a big part in that, and Screaming Mad George doing special effects. Yeah. Uh, and then, you know, Clint Howard in both films, which he had a really small part in the fifth one. But, mm-hmm. you know, there's just a lot of similarities with those. Um, I was uh, just kind of pondering myself, do you think, like, possibly, like, Scream Factory will ever release uh, three, four, and five of the Silent Night, Deadly Nights? I don't know where those ended up. I know that they, I, I'm sure they would love to. The, fir- the first two were, have been a big success, so I'm sure the rest of them, if nothing else, in a set, like what Anchor Bay did, I think would be welcome addition. Right. Like, I don't really know. Like some kind of box set, you know, that'd be kind yeah, of Yeah, that, that'd be, be cool. incredible. I like that box of one and two that 101 Films did. I think it was last year, last December or something. They had a really cool box that came with holiday cards and really great cover art. Um, right. Yeah. I, we know what's interesting about five, you know, about the Mickey Rooney thing. Oh, I know that, uh, 
for, well, from what I've heard, that he uh, he he did kind of drink a lot during that film. So, like when he's drinking a bottle of Jack, he probably was actually drinking Jack. <laughs> well, there's that too, but also back when the little Silent Night, Deadly Night came out, you know, there was that huge backlash against it, and he was one of the people who was most outspoken in Hollywood about how this film was just a crime against humanity. Oh, right. And I did remember hearing about this. Very vocally opposed to that movie. One, those conservative groups won that battle. They scared the distributor enough to get it pulled from theaters and all that, But which only made it bigger, you know, made it mm. shadow larger, and ultimately probably lent more to it being such a legendary film than anything else could have. But then, of course, he appears in part five. He's the lead in part five, unbeknownst to him, because I don't think it was shot as a Silent Night, Deadly Night. I can't remember what the shooting title was of that. <laughs> Actually, none of them after two were shot as Silent Night, Deadly Night movies. But yeah, yeah, that um, was that made me one, wonder. You know, because the, the you know, yeah, I think the, well, the third one has Ricky in it, so it technically. But I think I can't remember what the shooting titles of any of these were. But the third one was supposed to be kind of only marginally related through the Ricky connection but at, outside of that especially four and five I mean yeah those those yeah, almost so really it, it's, a, it's such an interesting series I love that I love how weird that series is <laughs> you know I it, it, I've talked about uh, Silent Night Daily Night 4 but I'll tell you like my theory of part four is you know that movie just seemed like it was a totally different film than the series and it almost would, uh, you know, I, I just kind of have a theory that I, I wondered if they were uh, originally planning on shooting that as a Society 2 or like a Society sequel because there's oh, a lot yeah. of similarities sure. um, with that one, just with the the way that uh, the fascination with the bugs in, the, in Society and then with like the worms, um, which Silent Night four has you know the the bugs and the worms and then mm -hmm. the ability to like turn like fingers and body parts mashing together and kind of forming like you know just rubberization type deformities kind of like how society is uh and you know just the fact that scream mad george worked on it and it was a, a brian usna production as well just there's just a sense. lot of similarities there yeah it really does make sense yeah but yeah so i'm just kind of curious to hear the story uh one day hopefully of behind of you know what what was the original title that one called because there's very little christmas stuff in that one yeah and and it's never really been properly released. And I misspoke. I just looked at my disc set. It was not Anchor Bay. It was Lionsgate who put out that three disc set. So that explains why no one has their hands on distribution right now. Lionsgate owns a massive catalog from all sorts of companies that they purchased over the years. And mm -hmm. it's a real mystery what they're doing with what with any of this outside of just streaming rights because... Uh, they don't license out to anyone else, and it's the vault that everyone's been trying to crack for years, and by everyone, I mean all the distributors, is trying to figure out how do we get into Lionsgate and allow them to open up some of these films to distribution. And these three fall under that clearly, so that answers that question 
and also corrects my incorrect statement that it was Anchor Bay who put him out. Okay, for sure, for sure. So, you know, like you, you've worked on so many titles, it's it's mere impossible to talk about every single <laughs> uh, title that you've worked on or film that you've worked on. Um, but, you know, could you tell us maybe like what's next for for Reverend Entertainment and, you know, what's next for Justin Beam? Well, like they're basically one and the same. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> it's kind of a one-man show here. I have I have great team of people that I work with all around the country and around the world and cinematographers and um, people who contribute in so many ways to so many sides of it. If I need graphic work or artwork or something, I just have some great folks that I work with there and all the DPs that I team up with. But the heart and and the heart and the day to day is, is just me. Um, So it's a lot of hats to wear and uh, I'm I'm just I've just been so honored and thrilled that things have continued to continue as they have been and the relationship with Paramount has been so great the Paramount Presents line is one that continues to grow and I know that that's going to keep moving forward the relationship with Paramount has also opened up some other things so I'm doing some first run stuff for them now and starting next year and um shout factory is the same vinegar i've been doing a lot of it's it's been an interesting thing with them because i've a lot of the gigs i've been doing for them as of late have just been editing so cutting stuff together on blades for example which is a movie i adore and one of the most sincere tributes to jaws if not the most sincere tribute to jaws that's ever been made it's so fun but that, this movie Norway, for this new sub-label for Vinegar that's um, Terror Vision, it started as a record label, and now they've expanded into a video label that's under the Vinegar umbrella. This amazing movie Norway that I cut together the stuff on. I'm working on video violence right now for them cutting it. Wow. And then they just announced Alligator 1 and 2, Shout Factory, which are long overdue. I think more than Jaws, back to Jaws again, more than Jaws, Alligator traumatized me as a kid and had me convinced in, in the bottom of every pool in that great, you know, how they drain the pools or whatever. I was certain there were alligators in there. And <laughs> that movie just, I'll never forget seeing that kid flush that alligator and then what it became. So that's been a real honor to work on and that's something that took many years for us to get together because i started talking with shout i'm going to say maybe two and a half years ago about alligator and it finally came through this year and i just couldn't have been more excited and so i'm just wrapping that stuff up right now on both of those that are going to be stacked and i don't know what else has been announced yet i mean everything else that i'm working on none of it has been announced which are I'm looking at my calendar, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten. Ten titles on my current docket that I'm working on, none of which have been announced, and they're for various companies. Wow. Mostly Shout, I mean, almost entirely Shout and Paramount, but there are a couple of vinegar things in there too. And then there's a documentary I'm helping out with some producers on. It's a music thing, which is a little bit of a different adventure, which has been fun, also hasn't been announced. I'm expanding the production company into doing into some new realms outside of just film documentary. 
that's going to be starting next year, and so I'll have more on that pretty soon. It's just a weird moment right now. The only things that are coming up that have been announced are Herald and Maud for Paramount, which was an awesome experience, and then Norway, Alligator, and Alligator 2. And then Video Violence they teased, but they haven't... I mean, I don't think that's even up for pre-order yet. I think that's not going to be coming out till the first quarter next year, but I know that they did announce it, Vinegar. But I wish I had more titles I could just spill to you here, and there's more <laughs> stories to tell. There are also some Paramount, a couple Paramount things that are done and in the can that I have great stories behind, and I can't wait to share them, but I can't yet because nothing's been announced. That's the frustrating part is when you start talking about this. It's like, oh, it's like, and then this happened, but I can't say it. Right, right. No, I, I totally get it. Uh, I was just, you know, wondering what you could tell us that, you know, that you're yeah. able to say. Because, you know, I know you you work on a lot of, you know, great, great, great titles from, you know, Scream, Shout Factory, and, you know, Vinegar Syndrome, like, uh, you know, The Blades and uh, Fades of Black release. Mm-hmm. So, uh Harold and Maude was awesome. I did. I had interviewed Cat Stevens on that, and I also interviewed, or I had Larry Karaszewski, who's screenwriter of People vs. Larry Flint and Ed Wood. I had Larry and Cameron Crowe on commentary for that. Cameron wrote the liner notes to the old Criterion release and can speak to the music side of it, and they're both just such huge fans, and so that was an incredible thing to be in the room for was those two guys talking over the running time of Harold and Maude. And then Cat Stevens. I mean, what a legend. And there's a story behind his interview that I can't wait to tell, but I can't tell it till another title is announced. So that's one of those that I wish I could share. And Alligator, at the Alligators, none of the features have been announced, but the interviews, the things that have been coming together on those are just awesome. So many great stories behind those, and I'm excited for those features to be unveiled too. For sure, for sure. Yeah, I look forward to to hearing more about the Alligator one and two releases because those mm-hmm. look awesome. Just from yeah. from what I have seen, yeah, it's gonna be great. Uh, well, yeah, man. Uh, you know, I would love to <laughs> talk about you know some other stuff. Maybe we'll have to save it for another time. Uh, sure. Yeah, I'll know, be happy like, to come back. This has been fun. You know, like uh, like the the Blob and uh, one oh. of my favorite '80s horror films. So you know. Have to Me too. definitely talk about that and you know we'd love to maybe hear some more stories on uh uh your commentary work with uh butch patrick and rob zombie yeah and uh you know just so much there's there's so much man so you've you've got a uh an amazing story to tell and uh you know i'd love to hear more sometime oh that's very kind thank you man <laughs> i appreciate that i would and i would love to come back and dive in on on whatever you want to explore. I, I love talking about this stuff. I frankly wish I had more time to just sit and chat about it all the time. I, it's because uh, you get so kind of lost in the day to day and in, in the hectic schedules and wearing all those hats that I mentioned earlier. And it's, it's really cool to have a chance to sit and explore with a friend. And so I appreciate your having me on to dig into this stuff and I'm totally down for coming back again. Awesome, man. Yeah. Yeah, most definitely. You're welcome back anytime. Thank you. Uh, but I, I and I did want to mention, uh, you know, with when I when I started doing this podcast, uh, 
before the first Midwest Monster Fest, I kind of had pondered the idea of doing a podcast because I have a background of like making uh, music. I was like in a couple of heavy metal bands. So I was pondering the idea of, you know, I, I also love watching horror films and love talking about horror films. I just, uh, you know, didn't really have people just to converse with and, and talk about them. But, um, so I was kind of on the fence of either doing like a solo music project or doing a horror podcast. And so I, you know, took, took the route of doing a, a horror podcast and, then when I went to Midwest Monster Fest and watched some of the panels, and uh, especially the one that, that you did with uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, reunion, uh, I think just that that moment really helped me kind of push myself to, okay, I need to get the cylinders rolling and actually do this podcast. So, you know, I partially have you to thank for, mm-hmm. um, you know, just, you know, the the way that that you know you presented uh the panels and you know basically kind of doing like a live interview with them uh really kind of inspired me into maybe you know getting the ball rolling and doing a podcast and then kind of you know expanding and actually talking to people within the horror genre on the show so you know i partially have you to thank justin (laughs) Oh, that's an honor, man. Uh, that's wild. Hey, that means so much. Uh, I, uh, I don't know what to say other than just thank you. And it's it's my honor to to even get a chance to do it, let alone have that kind of resonance with any of those discussions. It's so much fun to be up there talking with those people. And I think if you, I, I just really love uh, helping people tell their stories. And um, that's a tremendous honor that 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 inspired you in any in any way to do the same and to help contribute to the same massive archaeological cultural dig that we're both associated with here and trying to preserve people's lives and and the tales of their adventures and stuff i think that's just so cool that that you're doing that and that you've had so many episodes now and that you keep it rolling and and then to be on here now at this point it's just so cool and i'm i'm so impressed by all you're doing and grateful that that, that you including me again in that and uh really appreciative to hear that there was any that i had any small role in that thank you yeah uh, uh no problem you know yeah i don't, I don't want to take up too much of your time justin uh is there anything that you want uh the fans to know like where they can check out uh, either like your website or you have like any merch sites that people could check out or. Yeah. Thank you. I, if, if you go to just justinbeam.com, it's Justin and my last name is B E A H M.com there. You can even subscribe on the site to a kind of newsletter type thing where every time I put a new post up to announce a release or whatever, you'll get an email with it. Also on social media, just look my name up and you'll come across me there on Twitter and Facebook and whatever else. And um, I always, whenever something's announced very quickly, I'll post about it. So you'll always be on top of things that way. And my communication is open too. You can message me through the website or through either Twitter or Facebook. You can reach out to me and I'd love to have 
connection with folks and answer any questions you have and have you know dig in on your favorite movies and whatever it might be i'm i just love to engage in this stuff so i'd love to hear from anybody who wants to touch base right on right on i uh will leave like your website and uh and some other links of yours in uh, the show notes of this episode so if people want to you know check out some of your stuff they can check out your stuff man yeah thank you appreciate it so thank you so much justin for coming to the show man and you know i really appreciate you coming on here and we will definitely have to do this again yeah until next time thank you well that about wraps up the episode i hope you all enjoyed uh again i just i just want to say thank you so much justin for taking time to, to coming on the show and, and talking about the work that you do for the horror genre and working on all all these uh, boutique label companies it's it's awesome man keep up the good work buddy <laughs> um yeah again i will leave the links to justin's work in the uh show notes of this episode so you can go to justinbeam.com and i'll also leave the links to where you can pick up haunt and uh krampus naughty cut 4k so make sure you pick those up if you haven't already and like i mentioned at the beginning of the show i have some more guests lined up uh I'm not for certain which ones I'm going to air first and whatnot. So uh, I'll just kind of leave that up in the air that I have some people lined up, but uh, can't say who yet. So just keep your eye on the social medias and uh, whenever I do announce. And yeah, I mean, I think that's that's about it for me. Uh, you can follow everything Root Horror Podcast at www.linktree.com forward slash root horror podcast uh, I'm also on the social medias Facebook and Instagram at root horror podcast I'm also on Twitter at root horror pod and if you'd like to become a supporter of the show you can uh, donate uh, a small portion each month if you choose uh, if you you know want to go that route to being a supporter you can go to anchor.fm forward slash root horror podcast forward slash support and uh any anything would be greatly appreciated if you'd like to become a supporter and this helps keep this show running and uh and yeah i i would love any new support that uh that we can get for the show so hope you all enjoyed this episode and uh real quick before i sign off here i just want to thank nightlight for providing music to the show as always i will leave their band camp link in the description below as well and uh as well as the pfpn which you'll hear an ad here pretty soon from them uh you know thank i just want to say thank you to the pfpn for keeping the show on the network really appreciate what you guys do and um yeah anyways uh hope you all enjoy the show and uh stay tuned for the next one
You're listening to the Prescribed Films Podcast Network, home to hundreds of hours of free podcast entertainment. The shows on this network all have a common goal, providing you with the best discussions about movies and other forms of entertainment media. The PFPN hopes to fill your ear holes with audio joy. Visit our website with links to all the other amazing shows at www.thepfpn.com. Thanks for listening.